podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. They said London could stage any major sporting event at short notice. There was talk before the Rio Olympics, the Football World Cup in Russia and next year in Qatar. But it's never happened. Until now. Six months ago, British Swimming stepped in to stage the second biggest para-swimming event in the world. The London Aquatic Centre once again has been full of British flags, pride and world-class athletes from 60 countries. This is the Anything But Footy, the unashamedly biased Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. And we're here to witness some of the success from the para-swimming world championships. We hear from a Paralympic superstar, Ellie Simmons and Maisie Newton-Summers, who was inspired by her seven years ago. And we'll give you some new names to watch out for at Tokyo 2020. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And John is actually there inside the Aquatic Centre watching the final night of what has been a brilliant week of swimming. So he'll be battling some of the noise and some of the atmosphere inside as we expect more records to tumble and more medals to be won later on. Also coming up on this episode of Anything But Footy, we speak to a Olympic gold medalist Hannah Mills. She joins us to launch a brand new initiative called the Big Plastic Pledge. She'll be telling us all about it. An update on the Great Britain and Northern Ireland team heading to Doha for the World Athletics Championships. News from the UCI Paracycling Road World Championships in the Netherlands. British success at the Park World Skateboarding Championships in Brazil. And a couple of dates for the diary at the Lee Valley Hockey Centre. All that and with recent high-profile incidents of sports people competing Eating whilst concussed, we ask whether more needs to be done and how a concussion protocol can be implemented. This is Anything But Footy. And if we miss your sport, tell us at Anything But F on Twitter or message us on Insta and Facebook. Please share, like and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We want to hear from you. And I've been coming to the Olympic Park for eight years, Michael. Today was a first for me. I will tell you more about that later. So it was only in April that London stepped up again to host the major sporting event, the Para Swimming World Championships. UK sport and British swimming rescued the situation after Malaysia was stripped of hosting the Games after not allowing Israeli athletes to compete. The event is the largest para swimming championships outside of the Paralympic Games and it sees around 600 swimmers from approximately 60 countries competing. Now there's been thousands of people here every night It's been shown on more for every night. London and the UK doing what it does best, putting on a good show. World records have tumbled and it's also been announced this week that Madeira will stage the next one in Funchal in 2021 after the next Paralympics, of course. And that with a year to go before Tokyo 2020, Great Britain have got some new superstar swimmers on their list as well as the return of a well-known veteran. Well, I say veteran but she's still only 24. We'll hear from Ellie Simmons in a moment. For me, though, Michael, some of the performances this week have been absolutely incredible. And Alice Tay uh, really stands out. She's a 20-year-old from Poole. She's won six golds in her first six events at these championships. And it's not just freestyle where she won the 100-metre freestyle, the SA 100-metre freestyle. She also won the 100-metre backstroke final. 
also the 100 meter butterfly final as well and she helped win the relay a double gold for her on a friday night when she won the 400 meter freestyle ending a 10-year winning streak by usa legend jessica long uh, which you know is incredible achievement from her and then the 50 meter freestyle and then another it, it goes on and on and on and it's nice to see michael some new names coming through ahead of tokyo 2020 yeah, up to uh, 39 medals on the medal table ahead of the penultimate night for Great Britain. And it's just been a phenomenal success uh, for the home swimmers in the pool. 11 medals in total on the first night, including a 1-2-3 in the men's S14 200 metres freestyle for Reese Dunn, Tom Hamer and Jordan Catchpole. Nine medals on night two, six medals on the third night, four medals on the fourth night. Medals again, including two for Alice Tay on the fifth night. And then, as I said, more medals on the sixth night, the penultimate night, taking Great Britain's tally up to 39. And I have to say, you know, with all due respect to people like Rhys Dunn and Tom Hamer and Jordan Catchpole and, and Stephen Clegg, who have all picked up medals, it's all about the girls, isn't it? The medal tally uh, for the British women at this championships has been absolutely phenomenal. And I put that down to the one person that you mentioned. And I think it's, it's a legacy from London 2012. And it's a legacy from the success and the personality of Ellie Simmons. Yeah, absolutely. Bethany Firth, for example, the backstroke 100-metre champion in the S14 category. Uh, Lewis Finnis, the women's 20, S, SB14 100-metre breaststroke final champion. Rebecca Redfern had to wait four days to get competitive into competitive action and she stormed to victory in the 100-metre breaststroke final in the SB13 category. So, so many names that you will maybe not know at the moment, but you may know going into Tokyo and hopefully after Tokyo. But as you rightly say, Michael one of the biggest names is 24 year old Ellie Simmons and she's had another great week remember she had a year off um, but wanted to return to the sport that she became famous for in Beijing in 2008 as a 13 year old and she was in tears earlier this week after she won a bronze in the 400 meter freestyle final behind a world record from Yang Jiang of China and Ellie won this bronze in Rio so shows that she's on course again for Tokyo 2020 and then this evening in this final event uh, final night of action as you say we're here at the London Aquatic Centre in a really noisy atmosphere and a great British atmosphere she won, in her words, a surprise bronze medal in the 100 metre breaststroke and I caught up with her afterwards. So shocked about that, to get bronze medal in a, in a 100 breast in an event that I've, don't, like it's just a fun event for me and to get two PBs in one day, personal best in the morning, personal best in tonight, I'm just literally so happy and so, I'm not, like it's not really hitting, like after my 400 free I was quite emotional but for this one I'm just... Yeah, not really thinking about it. Because you said it was for fun, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's just a fun meet. So to come away with a bronze, like literally, I'm, I can't believe it. And what about you had a year off? You're back now with the plans for Tokyo. So still full steam ahead for that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Full steam ahead towards Tokyo. I'm going to have a break now and celebrate the achievements with my team tonight and watch my team, enjoy my medal ceremony, relax, have a break, um, go on holiday and then get ready full steam ahead towards Tokyo. And a quick word on the team. I mean, Alice Tay has caught the eye with six golds already, but, you know, brilliant performance from British swimming. Oh, absolutely amazing performance from British swimming. We're all from a buzz and we're all starting 
Like my, my teammate Susanna Hex is swimming now, which is absolutely amazing. Um, not Suzanne, sorry, Brock Winston. Um, Alice Ty is doing amazing. Tully, everyone, it's just absolutely incredible. And, fi and finally, what's it like being back in this pool? Oh, I love it. This is my pool that I train in every day and to, to get um, a medal and to get him performing in front of the home crowd. It's why we do it, which why we I wake up at half five in the morning and train and to, to moments like this when you do personal best. That's Ellie Simmons talking to John. We are at the Aquatic Centre tonight for the final evening of the World IPC Swimming World Championships. And what an event, as we've already said, it's been. Fantastic success, not just in the pool as well, with all those medals being won for the, the British swimmers, but just a success of the staging of the event tonight as well. And obviously, you're there and you're seeing just how well organised it's all been. Oh, it's great to see the British flags back in the Olympic Park. As, you know, as, as I said, we've been coming here for seven or eight years. And, you know... You can never recapture 2012, but boy, do we put on a good show. And the noise in that, thing, as you heard with that interview, you kind of have to yell. And I think what's interesting is not to forget, as you said earlier, the power of 2012. You know, people like Ellie Simmons really inspired, particularly 17-year-old Maisie Summers Newton, who was just 10 years of age in 2012, and she came here and watched Ellie. Now, she absolutely raised the roof this week with a world record-breaking performance in the women's SMC. 200 meter individual medley final uh, she you know shaved 0.7 off her existing record incredible performance ellie simmons was back in fourth in that race and she then grabs second tonight in the 100 meter breaststroke in a new european record behind another world record from the chinese i mean i'm really happy with it to finish off with the week like that is amazing so what it's like swimming in this pool where you were here, of course, seven years ago? Yeah, um, it's amazing. I think when I first got here on Monday, I was a bit shocked. But, I mean, as the week's gone on, I've really enjoyed it. So, yeah. And it gives you hope for Tokyo next year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, mean, I like to have confidence, and this has given me loads of confidence. So, definitely. Well, many congratulations. Thank well done. You. Thank, Thank you. you. And Michael, what I really like about the British swimmers is that it's really interesting because they're disappointed when they don't win. Maisie was not greatly happy with her silver medal. And actually, I mentioned for Jessica Jane Applegate, the London 2012 gold medalist, and three medals in Rio, a couple of silver and bronze. She broke the championship record in the heats of the women's S1400 metres butterfly earlier, but only finished second in the finals tonight. And she was actually in tears afterwards. She'd won a gold already this week in the relay, but it shows just how successful British swimmers are and I think you know you've mentioned it before it just needs a bit more coverage we need to be shouting about the success of these swimmers yeah I mean you look at someone like Alice Tay who we mentioned right at the start um, six gold medals across the week uh, there was a fourth place finish for her as well um, on the penultimate <laughs> she night lost one. <laughs> yes in the 200 meters individual medley in the the s8 category but you know that is just some achievement six gold medals she she should uh, I wonder whether she will be on the shortlist for Sports Personality of the Year because, you know, six gold medals at any world championship in any sport is phenomenal. Now, I've been coming to the Olympic Park since the end of 2011, as I say, and it sometimes felt like my second home. Uh, you, can, you can ask my missus about it. Uh, today, <laughs> today, I did a first... Not very PC, I'll admit it, not very right on, but frankly, it was easier and it was cheaper. And I drove 
to the Olympic Park. Wow, and no I javelin par- train for John. I know, and I parked nearby, and I've never done this before. And what a sight that velodrome is when you come off the A12. The here east buildings where BT Sport are now based it used to be the uh, main press centre in the Olympics. I drove right past the Copper Box, which is one of the great indoor venues, and I remember at the Paralympics was superb for the wheelchair rugby. Amazing transport links this place has. But I tell you what, for big events, you know, it is incredible. And you have to come here on public transport, on the javelin and the tubes, as you say. But seeing all the new houses being built and building work everywhere and driving right through the park, I'll be honest, Michael, it was a real treat. And I absolutely (laughs) loved it. You're listening to Anything But Footy. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Anything But F. We're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram if you want to send us a message there. Maybe give us a nudge in the direction of your sport or your favourite sporting personality that you don't think gets enough coverage from the world of Olympic and Paralympic sports. Still to come, we'll have another big-name guest, Olympic gold medalist and London 2012 silver medalist sailor Hannah Mills is going to be joining us on Anything But Footy. She has launched a new initiative called the Big Plastic Pledge and she'll be telling us all about it inside the next 20 minutes. Only here on Anything But Footy. I'm so glad you, wouldn't, you didn't use my line, which is, we'll be talking rubbish with Hannah Mills. <laughs> no. <laughs> Same old story for Sarah's story this week. The 14-time Paralympic champion. We mentioned the velodrome here at the Olympic Park. Well, she's won two golds out and about on the roads in Netherlands for the UCI Paracycling World Championships, the WC5 time trial and the C5 road race title are once again hers. She's now won 33 world titles in her career. She is a machine and off to Tokyo 2020 as well. And medals too for Steve Bate and Adam Dogleby, Katie Toft, Ben Watson and Laura. Faki and Corinne Hall and Jaco Van Gas as well. Well done to British Cycling. Yeah, and if Dame Sarah's story is approaching, and I apologise to her for saying it, veteran status, we've got <laughs> some new kids on the block, literally new kids. Sky Brown, 11 years of age, at the Park World Skateboarding Championships in Sao Paulo in Brazil. She's won a bronze medal. Excellent score of 55 meant she was actually top of the pile. She led after her first run, but she dropped to bronze despite improving that score to 58.3 in her second run. Remember, this is all part of the seasonal qualification now for Tokyo 2020, where skateboarding is making its debut, and Sky Brown is hoping to be part of Team GB. She's aiming to become Britain's youngest ever Olympian. Now, to put you on the spot, Michael, if I was to ask you your favourite, or one of your favourite Olympic sports? Hmm, difficult one. I've got a lot of Olympic sports I like, obviously, track and field, swimming, uh, loved the hockey in Rio triathlon. Um, I do like, I have to say, and I put a lot of this down to Nicola Adams and the and Katie Taylor of Ireland, actually, the fantastic atmosphere at the Excel Centre in London. I do like the, the artistry and the strength and the skill on display in the boxing. Well, I'm glad you've said that because obviously I want to talk to you about what's been going on this week in the sport of boxing. Now, of course, in 2012, it wasn't staged here at the Olympic Park. It was down the road at the Excel Centre. We have big hopes. We won lots of medals including Anthony Joshua in 2012 and I want to talk to you about him because Rob McCracken who is the GB Boxing Performance Director and if you heard our Tokyo 2020 preview and you can still download it if you haven't uh, we think that we will win big medals in the boxing he's been criticised this week for saying that he knew Joshua was concussed when the former Olympic champion, uh, the gold medalist from 2012, uh, was, of course, um, in trouble in the third round against Andy Ruiz Jr. in June. 
but of course let him fight on before losing in the seventh round. Now, Headway, the brain charity, said after that that trainers have a duty of care to their boxers and it seems clear Anthony Joshua's trainer's sole priority was winning that fight, not protecting the fighter from a potentially fatal injury. GB Boxing have come out and said anyone who has ever seen him work knows he has the best interest of the boxers at heart and McCracken has kind of said... Um, in also a statement, I'm not a doctor. It may be that concussed is not the right term to have used. Is the is it fair criticism, Michael? Absolutely, um, it's fair criticism, and I'm not going to point the finger directly at Rob McCracken because I actually do accept his explanation here. That I think in, in an interview, in a relaxed situation, recording a podcast, which is what he was doing, he did use the word concussed, and I think he's probably used that that word in the wrong sentence and uh, the wrong context, rather. Um, so, you know, I do accept Rob McCracken's apology, um, and I think it's the detail of the language that he's used that people have um, seized upon here. But the bigger picture is, if you look at a sport like NFL, where they have neurological spotters, um, working and this has been an issue in the last couple of days because the New York Giants Sterling Shepard was actually not spotted in an NFL game by the spotters or the medical staff they completely missed a concussion incident with him they didn't trigger the protocol had he been involved in a clash he had been involved in this clash with a Dallas Cowboys at cornerback called Anthony Brown they didn't then kick the protocol in so he played the rest of the game he has now been ruled out of the match with the Buffalo Bills now obviously the system there as failed but the system is in place and it's the right thing to do in boxing you've got a referee who stands between the two boxers and gives them the count and then you're also asking the referee to make a decision over the welfare of that boxer or you're asking trainers or people on the sidelines to make that decision who are of course are very heavily involved in trying to get their boxer to win I think, like the NFL and like other sports, boxing needs an external panel, if you like, an external spotting team to see a situation like this and then make the decision on behalf of everybody else who's maybe too involved in the fight about the boxer's welfare and whether that fighter is is fit enough to continue. I think that's a really good point. Only a doctor can say someone was concussed. You can't, you know, only a doctor can say that. So I think you're absolutely right with that idea. And I think this this argument or this disagreement this week seems a little too easy to throw terms around on both sides. Concussed, McCracken shouldn't have used it. Only doctors know and can diagnose it, as you rightly say. But also the criticism of him, you know, saying that he had a duty of care and priority was winning they're thrown away as well that you know that's not him anyone as gb boxing knows he has the best interests at heart so both i think both of them were slightly wrong in the argument but what a good idea you've come up with they should they should sign up that idea absolutely well i think the bigger picture is actually all the sports need to get together there needs to be some kind of um force here for good between all the sports because you've got someone like steve smith who was concussed during the ashes as we all saw cricket australia have absolutely no protocols over concussion. So Steve Smith, as far as Cricket Australia were concerned, could theoretically have played in that next test match. Obviously, in the end, they ruled him out. Now, the ECB, the uh, English and Welsh Cricket Board, actually their protocol is you should have a minimum six days rest if you're concussed in a match. FIFA have a protocol. World Rugby have a protocol. British horse racing have a protocol. In boxing, the protocols change depending on who's organising the fight. Some of them, it's 28 days. Others, it's 45 days rest after a knockout. Why these sports can't get together 
obviously with the medical people and come up with a, a catch-all solution to this. I do not know. It seems to me that it would be a very, very simple thing to do that across all professional sport and all amateur sport and in all these major sporting events that we talk about, if concussion is going to be an issue, that all the sports sign up, if you like, to one rule of thumb. Yeah, you're right about world rugby. Of course, the Rugby World Cup up and coming, and it's going to be massive for the next six weeks for England, Scotland, Wales, and, and Ireland and, and the likes. And I think you're right. The focus has to be the right focus. And if they can all join together and get it right, then maybe that's what they, they should be doing. Um, this is Anything But Footy, the unashamedly Olympic and Paralympic podcast. And we are tonight in the Olympic Park in London, uh, re- remembering how windy it is. And also how many planes <laughs> fly over it as well. Seagulls. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't been taken out yet uh, by one of those. Um, obviously, the Olympic Stadium behind me, the home of West Ham now, was the home of Super Saturday, where, of course, British Athletics had one of its greatest nights. And, of course, British Athletics preparing for the World Championships in Doha, Michael. Yeah, and there's been an update to that original team of 72, which was announced by British Athletics to represent Great Britain and Northern Ireland at the World Championships in Doha. Jasmine Sawyers is in now she was invited by the IAAF and British Athletics having accepted that invite so she now goes into the team she was one centimetre short of an automatic qualification distance Imani Lansico also comes in now this is because of the quirk that Dina Asher-Smith by winning the Diamond League uh, meant that she got a wild card entry into the World Championship so essentially that opened up a place in the 100 metres uh, team so uh, Imani Lansico is in and it's the first time ever Great Britain and Northern Ireland have had four representatives then in the women's 100 metres. And for Jasmine Sawyers, as I said, one centimetre short of the qualification distance, Commonwealth Games silver medalist, a European silver medalist, finished eighth in Rio. Um, I think it's probably the right thing to do for British athletics because she is one of those athletes, and, and we've spoken at length about this before, she's one of those athletes that I think on her day could potentially head towards the medals. I know there's been lots of other people that were maybe invited by the IAAF that British Athletics haven't taken up the invite. Uh, I understand a lot of those decisions because, for example, you're not necessarily going to take the 41st best steeplechaser in the world. And that's the point. So Amelia Stricker, who is a shot putter, uh, said on Twitter, I'm heartbroken knowing I'm in the top 32 in the world, but my invite wasn't accepted. Time to get ready for 2020. She didn't get the qualifying mark, a bit like Jasmine Sawyer, but British Athletics said, no, you're not going, even though she had an invite from the IAAF. And the same, you mentioned Steeples Chase, the same as Phil Norman, 3,000 metres. He says gutted is an understatement. He missed the qualifying time by a few hundreds of a second. I suppose, Michael, the IAAF obviously want as many athletes there as they can, but actually this, this doesn't help if you don't get the qualifying mark that British athletics have set then why invite athletes that just missed out and I suppose that's the difficulty that Jasmine Sawyer is going and congratulations to her and I'm really pleased for her but she just missed out but she's going but a couple of other people who just missed out are not going and I I don't know whether you saw on Twitter this week one of uh, Britain's gold medal stories from Sydney 20 years ago it was all about Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards. Edwards yeah yep. um, and it recalled how in 1988 um, he um, was 23rd at the Olympics uh, it didn't qualify for 1992 was the favourite in Atlanta and got silver and then finally won gold in Sil- Sydney and sometimes you think well surely some people have got to go on a journey and got to be allowed time to develop rather than, are they going to win a medal in Doha or Tokyo? OK, it's not worth them going. Yeah, very different times, though, remember, in the late 80s and yep. early 90s. Yep. It was it was pre-lottery funding. Yep. Um, so I have a, a certain amount of sympathy that this is public money 
um, that's being spent. Um, you know, British athletics obviously have commercial income as well as, as public money, but essentially, you know, it's our money and they have to make a decision. They can't take everyone. And clearly the decision was made that, that Jasmine Sawyers as someone that's won, you know, medals at, at top level competition and someone that's been in an Olympic final was worth taking because potentially could do the business out in Doha. And talking of doing the business, London 2012 silver medalist and Rio 2016 sailing champion Hannah Mills has been putting her off-season to good use by launching a brand new initiative. It's called the Big Plastic Pledge and she wants to use the power of sport backed by the IOC to encourage people to take up to three pledges to help reduce the consumption of single-use plastic. And she told Anything But Footy why she felt compelled to get involved. Hey guys, I'm Hannah Mills, Olympic gold medal winning sailor from Rio 2016. The Big Plastic Pledge is a global movement which unites the whole of the sporting community to tackle single-use plastic pollution in sport. Whether you're an athlete, a fan, um, a volunteer, uh, a weeknight five-a-sider, or someone who goes to the park run every Saturday, um, whoever you are, if you're involved in sport in any way then this is for you and i'd love you to join us and become a part of it i think as sailors um and any uh sport that involves water i think uh it's very easy for us to see how much um plastic pollution has increased over the last 10 15 20 years honestly it's very visible you know when we go out sailing now we see plastic every single day uh, almost without fail and that never used to be the case um, the beaches, the marinas, um, there's just so much more plastic everywhere and, and it's almost like a, a never-ending tidal flow of, of plastic um, coming to the shore. And so it's heartbreaking and I think it touches us in such a way that it does ignite that passion to want to do something about it. But for me, the Big Plastic Pledge is, is to unite all sports, not just the water sports, you know, it's it's the hockey hockey pitches, it's the stadiums, it's it's the rings, it's it's everywhere. Sport is so powerful. To me, it's one of the few things that has the ability to unite people in such a way. Um, it crosses borders, it breaks down barriers. I think we've all watched and felt the emotion of someone winning an Olympic gold medal or their t- your team losing in uh, a final match and and feeling that despair and that devastation with them and I wanted to harness that power and that energy and use it to create this movement so that we can tackle single-use plastics in sport. Becoming Olympic champion um, definitely didn't change my life as such. Uh, It is an incredible, amazing, amazing thing to to do and to win. I I still can't quite believe it. happened to me having dreamt about it for so many years but um, it was such a personal achievement for myself and my family and my friends and supporters and um, it's really special and and it hasn't changed my life but it certainly does help with trying to launch um, initiatives like this you know I couldn't have done it without the support of lots of people around me but in particular the International Olympic Committee have have been fantastic. We've had a fantastic summer, we've been out training as much as possible in the Olympic venue in Japan, a place called Enoshima and the conditions out there are amazing, it's just unbelievable sailing, we have huge huge waves, you know it's open to the Pacific Ocean so we get massive waves, um, great winds 
and it's just been an unbelievable summer. Uh, we won the world championships out there and then placed second at the Olympic test event sort of straight after. So it's been really full on, but we're feeling good. We've got loads of stuff to still do and tick off as, as I'm sure every athlete at this point in the Olympic cycle does, but we're feeling positive and really, really excited to, uh, to experience the next year because it's just so exciting being a part of the Olympic Games. So it's really simple to get involved. Uh, go to the website www.bigplasticpledge.com. Um, go to the pledge page. There's nine pledges, um, all very different, um, but all with some great ideas for how you can help reduce your single use um, consumption. But as I said, to be involved, you've got to choose three. Um, obviously we'd like you to choose more but it's minimum of three and, and that was really important to me because I wanted it to be personal so I wanted people to be able to choose which ones they were definitely going to commit to um, but also I wanted to make it global so that anyone anywhere um, could take part. The website for that just to recap www.bigplasticpledge.com There are nine pledges in total on that website. Hannah wants you to take up a minimum of three. I have done it. My three. I want to spread the word of the Big Plastic Pledge. I think we're doing that right now. I want to take my own water bottle to sporting events and don't use and won't use single use plastic bottles and I want to leave no trace. It's simple things like taking my rubbish away but all of that will help of course with the bigger picture of saving the planet and as an Olympic sailor as she was saying there she really sees it more than most. I mean it started at Rio didn't it? She wa- literally waded through rubbish um, yep. at, at times which is incredible. Look, it all seems Made her like, ill. Yeah it seems look really reasonable to me that you can stop using reusable bottles, you can not use, you know, um, plastic cups. You know, well done to Hannah, well done to the IOC as well. They get a lot of, of, of criticism, well done to them. And look, it's made me go, I've just drunk two water bottles and I need to not do that um, and, and make sure I don't do that uh, when I come to my next sporting event here on the Olympic Park, um, especially as I've driven. Um, so I'm in, I'm, <laughs> in real, I'm in real bad trouble here, Michael. I'm you could really... be back for the hockey, couldn't you? So you've got a chance to make amends for that. <laughs> I could, uh, talking of the men's and the women. Um, so we know who Great Britain have to play in the women in the hockey to get to Tokyo. Look, this is as simple as it gets. They have to win these matches. If not, they do not go. Even though the women are the reigning champions, they don't automatically go and defend their title at Tokyo 2020. So the women will play Chile, who are ranked 18th in the world. They've never played them before. And England currently ranked 5th. And that's how the rankings are done on the England performance. But this is a British team. Uh, they do not automatically qualify. And it's so hard to win the, uh, the, the, the Olympics, you know, four years on, as I think the women are finding. But they've got the chance to get back there against Chile. And then the men, uh, who will, of course, um, currently seventh in the world, uh, ranked as England, they will play Malaysia, currently 11th in the world, and they drew 3-3 in August. So they have some uh, interesting uh, opposition there. It's not going to be easy for either of them. The Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre, which is just over the Aquatic Centre, I can kind of point at it as I talk to you. Um, They'll be hosting the matches with a two-legged playoff uh, at the beginning of November, and the tickets are on sale on Monday the 16th of September, which for some of you is today. 
He's pointing. He's pointing at it. Uh, in golf, the Solheim Cup was held over the weekend at Glen Eagles. The captain of Europe was Katrina Matthew, who you might recall uh, was, of course, one of those history-making golfers in Rio when golf returned to the Olympic Games. And congratulations to Katrina Matthew and her Europe team. Uh, they did it the hard way, but they have beaten the USA 14.5 points to 13.5 points. Uh, they won their final three singles matches to seal that victory. And one of her wildcard picks, uh, Suzanne Sam Pettersson sunk the winning putt with some fantastic drama at Glen Eagles. Katrina Matthew described it all as unbelievable. More success for British canoeists in the para-canoe test event in Tokyo. Charlotte Henshaw won gold and Emma Wiggs silver in the KL2 at the Sea Forest Waterway. Victory for Jeanette Chippington and Wiggs in third in the VL2 category as well. And former hockey, now athlete, now kayaker, Laura Sugar won gold in the KL3, uh, saying it was great to experience the conditions and I learnt a lot. Ready, steady, Tokyo is the full focus. And it is our focus here on anything but footy. From gold, silver and bronze to plastic this week, it's been another magnificent week for Olympic and Paralympic sport. And anything but footy has been there throughout and here at the uh, World Power Swimming as well here at the Olympic Park. Stay with us as well until Tokyo 2020 for updates. But do us a favour, tell your friends, tell your teammates... Tell everybody that you know about us. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a review and give us a rating and get us well known because we want to spread the word of these sports that we all love. Sports Social Podcast Network.